I know it's a little bit earlier than uh, some of us are used to when it comes to Sundays anyway. Uh, definitely came around kind of quick this morning. We had a, for, uh, most of you were there last night. It was an incredible time with the families, the kids, the singles. Um, I had to do a paper run last night around 12.20, and it dawned on me as I'm sitting in the parking lot at CVS that I still had mascara and whatever all over my face. <laughs> And I don't know what it is, but it almost invariably, every time I'm out in public, you run into somebody that you've been reaching out to or a member of the church. So I'm just praising Jesus that it dawned on me before. I, I literally hit the car door and it's like, oh. So it was a Starbucks napkin in the glove box. That and a little bit of spit got most of it off. So uh, anyway, hopefully, hopefully that isn't TMI for uh, too many of you this morning. But uh Really want to start out by thanking each and every one of you. We're just so grateful, Jackie and I, to uh, have the opportunity to serve with you guys here in the South Bay Church. Uh, it's, looking back at last year, great year on a lot of different fronts. And uh, last night was just a great culmination as we looked to the uh, video, the year-end video, just seeing all the different events we've been a part of. Uh, I, I get a kick out of just seeing the kids and the expressions on their faces, whether it's the Easter egg hunt or whatever it is that we had going on, but uh, uh, just a great year on so many different fronts looking back. So I just want to thank you again for the opportunity to have been able to share that with you last year. and Looking forward to generating a lot of memories moving forward here in 2014. Now, I've got a question. How many of you, uh, let's see, how do I want to phrase this here? How many of you were leading in the capacity you're currently leading in in 2010? How many of you in the capacity you're leading now were serving in that capacity in 2010? Stand up, please. Okay. A few of you? Uh, stay standing, please. I, I know that may be a little bit demanding on some of you based on the amount of dancing that went on last night, but uh, how many of you are serving in the same capacity now that you were in 2011? Stand up. Okay, we got Tisha and Matt in the back. Okay, stay standing, please. Same question, 2012. Okay, 2013. <laughs> you know, maybe we need to take another coffee break. <laughs> but anyways, go ahead and grab a seat, guys. Hey, it's encouraging for me because I look back to 2010, and literally there was about a handful of people that uh, were leading at that point in time that stepped back into the same role. I think, it, actually, it would have been the Craigs, the Johnsons. Well. That wasn't a, you know, that wasn't negative. Jeez, man. The guilty flee when no one pursue. <laughs> I love Lainey. She knows I'm just kidding. But, you know, I think with that, as we look back at last year, and, you know, we've talked about assessment. We've talked about kind of figuring out what we want to do differently going into the new year. Are we done? As, as encouraging as last year was, are we done? And um, I don't have a remote, so I don't know. Uh, maybe we, I, you know, I, I don't want to call him a remote. <laughs> Never mind. Next slide, please. <laughs> okay, yeah, we're, there we go. Uh, just kind of looking back at last year, this will give you kind of an idea as to uh, what took place at South Bay. Our current membership is 178. Uh, we had 11 baptisms. And this, for, for me, uh, 
every bit as encouraging as the baptism, and knowing that we can get into a spiritual funk when, uh, I mean, it takes such an incredible degree of humility to see where you're at and see the need to come back. So six restorations last year, which is awesome. Our weekly attendance ranges anywhere from around 13 to 25 people. On some of our major pushes, it's more than that. But again, just kind of thinking through this, the area that uh, was really encouraging is looking at our volunteer hours uh, over the last couple of years. Last year, we had 7,728 volunteer hours. So guys, give your hand, yourselves a hand on that. A lot of you are a very integral part of making sure that's happening when it comes to your groups. And then, uh, the, the, again, another encouraging factor that comes out of that is 17,306 people were served, which, in my opinion, is amazing. So, when it comes to, again, last year, have we accomplished everything that we wanted to? I think discipleship within South Bay is in a, in a great place today. Uh, just the degree of consistency that's taking place there can always get better, and I think this is where you guys can really come in to make sure that everybody's involved in one another in relationships. I'm going to be talking about that a little bit later today. I sent you out a CCB early this morning uh, with, I think it's somewhere in the realm of uh, 30 to 40, just one another passages. So you've got them in one place. And it might be good to pull out from time to time or maybe even do some devotionals with your small groups, uh, maybe in, in discussion groups, just from a standpoint of the significance of us needing to get together with one another. And... We've, Jack and I have had the opportunity to see the repercussions of that not happening. Uh, the, the, the West Side Church is really making some great headway on a number of different fronts, but one of the areas that uh, people were very reticent to engage on was discipling. Uh, there's been immorality. Uh, there's been divorce. Uh, there's been all kinds of challenges that have come out of that. And I think just making sure that we don't, we, we're never in a position where we feel like we've arrived or we don't need help. I mean, I actually had a conversation with a, a, another minister that, when it came to discipling, felt like people should just be able to figure that out on their own. And, you know, you would think that's the case, and there's nothing wrong with that. But his, his perspective was, if you're like 10 years old, old or older in the Lord, it should be a non-issue. It's just going to happen. And I, I look back to my own personal spiritual walk in 1999, and uh, when I came out of the East region... I was jacked up on a lot of different fronts, and with that, I pulled back from relationships, and that was the, the, the biggest downturn, disappointment, crash and burn, whatever you want to call it, that I've experienced in the 20, where are we at, three years as a Christian. But, you know, you would think, based on that perspective, I'm mature enough in the faith, it should have just been happening. So let's not, as leaders, make sure that we're not making those assumptions, and we've got everybody involved in those kinds of relationships. But with that... Next slide. Oh, I read that. Thank you very much. You know, can I use you to hit a rewind on that? Okay, go ahead. Oh, I read that. Thank you very much. What if this is as good as it gets? Oh. I don't know how many of you, how many of you have seen the movie? Okay, so most of you know what's going on here. They're waiting for their uh, counseling appointments. He comes out of his and, uh, you know, a little disconcerting for those that are waiting in the room there. But, you know, I think we need to really think that through personally ourselves. You know, what if this is as good as it gets? And the thing that I'm so encouraged by as Christians, that is never the case. 
We can always go on to do more. We can always go on to do greater things. Jesus guarantees us of that. In uh, John 14, verse 12. Cool, thank you. Yay! I'm wired. I mean, this way. Uh, John 14, verse 12. says, I assure you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And he will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Verse 26, the Holy Spirit will be given. Prepare us for anything. Knowing that what Jesus had accomplished by dying, going to the Father, and ultimately telling us that he was going to come back within the, the, the great counsel of the Holy Spirit that we would have God basically residing within us is encouraging. Right. That needs to excite us. And to know that this promise holds true for us as it did with those brothers and sisters in the first century church. You know, what will it take for this to happen? In order for us to go on to greater things so that this is not as good as it gets... We need to put God first. We need to believe Him. We need to trust Him. We need to take God at His word. And in order to put God first, I need to become second. You need to become second. Want to do greater things? Seriously, you guys want to do greater things you want to do this year? I need you to say this with me. I am second. I am second. Oh, man, that was pretty good. I like that. But, you know, just really keeping that kind of a mindset, understanding that well, we're going to be talking more about Philippians 2 later in the day, too. But what did Jesus do? I mean, look at the degree of what he was willing to do so we could have a right relationship with God, so that we could be represented pure before God. You know, how many of you this past year have raised up an assistant or a replacement? Look those hands higher so everybody can see them. That's awesome. That is super, super encouraging. And we keep seeing this taking place, but is this as good as it gets? No. I mean, we all should have somebody waiting in the ranks that can step into our shoes, or as our Bible talk grows, we can split it out. We know with confidence that there's someone that will be able to step into that position and really take care of what God has entrusted them with. How many of you have, right now have someone in a position so that if your family group needed to split, or your community group needed to split, would be able to step into that slot? Anybody? Okay, well, there, there's, a, there's a few. That's good. But we all need to be thinking along these lines. How many of you are ready to plan a Bible talk in maybe one of your neighboring cities? Or even having these kinds of conversations, thinking through how we're going to have the maximum impact on our communities. You know, the thing that's really awesome is Jesus is, Jesus did, Jesus led, and Jesus leads. We've got him with us today to have this same degree of impact. Really thinking that through. You know, what is the next step? Where are we going to go? What do we want to accomplish? How are we going to glorify God? And you know, when it comes to leadership, who comes to mind from a historical standpoint? What are some of the standouts? Anybody? Lincoln? Paul? There, there, there's a lot of them. And, I, you know, this is kind of the definition of leadership here. The ability to lead, the ability to guide, direct, or influence people. And the thing is so cool about what you guys are doing, you're not doing it for yourself. You're not doing it for what you accomplish. Your calling is so much higher than the rest of these guys. 
I mean, you are doing it for God, and you're helping others to step into that same situation. I mean, they're, they, these are the top eight. I didn't have room for ten of them on there so that you could see them. But, you know, in some of the different lists, they vary. Lincoln's number one on some, Washington on others. And these are men that have had incredible impact. But how much more important is what we are personally doing? We're changing lives. We're raising up others to lead, to change others' lives. It's amazing the responsibility we've been given. And these are some of the aspects of leadership. Communication, passion, confidence, integrity, vision, courage, responsibility, commitment, relationships, character. And in Christ, we can tag every single one of those. If you are second to God, these will be manifested in your character. This is the kind of impact that you'll be able to have. The greatest leaders in the world have nothing on you. Because who resides in you? In Luke 10, verse 1, it says, After this, the Lord appointed 70 others, and he sent them ahead of him in prayers to every town and place where he himself was about to go. He told them, The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Now go! I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Don't carry a money bag, traveling bag, or sandals. What if there's some issues there, man? I don't see a toothbrush in the mix here. But anyway, it says, don't greet anyone along the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace of this household. If the son of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they offer, for the worker is worthy of his wages. Don't be moving from house to house. When you enter any town and they welcome you, eat the things set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near you. When you enter any town and they don't welcome you, go out into its streets and say, we are wiping off as a witness against you even the dust of your town that clings to our feet. Know this for certain. The kingdom of God has come near. I tell you on that day, it will be more tolerable for Sodom than for that town. Then verse 16. Whoever listens to you, listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. And whoever rejects me, rejects the one who sent me. Now, I would imagine if I was one of the 70, this may have been a little foreboding, a little ominous, maybe a little uh, stressful. Basically, for me, just the whole, you know, supply thing. I mean, uh, some of you guys go camping. You know how that goes. I, my, my little matrix is filled to the hilt when I'm going by myself with about 20 bins, you know, you have the tent, the stoves, the propane, the lanterns, all the stuff. And just the, uh, don't even go there with the garage. For those of you who've been in the garage, you know how much of it she owns with all of her Christmas stuff. But anyway, this had to have been a little scary for the 70. And we see Jesus in his plan. And this is, again, at the beginning of the year, we need to be thinking through what we're personally doing. The specifics here are crazy how he drills down and walks them through every aspect of what he's looking for them to do. You know, we know that Jesus started out with his couple of guys, then he had his 12, then his 70. And you know, you look around in, in this group, isn't this about the size of what we're dealing with here? Which is kind of cool. What was, <laughs> what was, that's kind of how I felt when that whole uh, region leader thing actually uh, was official, looking out at almost 1,200 people. But we need to understand our role. And what our role consists of is a very simple statement before God. I am second. Do you want to say something? Just wave at me whenever you 
have the urge. Why don't you come on up right now? Do the wave. Okay, no. Um, Yeah, I think, you know, just in thinking about it, I don't know that we're convinced or we realize um, how important the family group leader and the family group is. Uh, I don't know that we really get it. The church lives or dies with our family groups. I mean, that's just the truth of the matter. Um, I mean, how many of us grew up going to church? I grew up in a religious household. We went to church every single Sunday. We went to church sometimes during the week. I went to parochial school. We had enough church. It did not create family. It didn't matter how many meetings we attended. It didn't matter how much church we got. It didn't matter how many classes I went to. It never created the family that God talks about. Because the way Jesus did it, the way Jesus trained his guys to do it, was town by town, person by person, together. And so... If I could just encourage all of us um, to realize that the importance of your role as a family group leader to be, yeah, it's one, it's great because, you know, you don't have somebody else pretty much directing you. (laughs) Andre has this awesome email that goes out every single week. I appreciate his faithfulness to us and it's sending it to us even though we never show up since for three months. But... um, (laughs) But, uh, it's made us feel a part of the family, though. You get, to, you get to, along with your group, collaborate and figure out where you guys want to go, what you want to do, how to impact your own communities. You don't have somebody, you know, breathing down your neck about how you can do that. Um, but the, just realizing, man, our, the church really does live or die with the family groups because it is where lives are changed. That is the place where souls are saved. That is the place where marriages are healed, where we get to know each other's kids. I mean, our kids are grown. I wouldn't know the Johnsons' kids. They wouldn't know our kids, Wingies, we wouldn't, if we weren't hanging out together. Because our kids aren't in church, but because we have that family. Because Shailene has never been a member here. Yet she has a church family here. She has relationships with Calvin Elaine. Has relationships with has relationships with Gina. And um, several other people in here. And I think it's because we hang out together. It's because that group creates family, and it's so important. And... Um, you know, just realize that our family group uh, is our church family, and it's the most important. Do we serve and see it that way? I mean, do we treat it like we would our physical family? Um, a lot of what guides Steve and I in learning through 23 years of doing it right and wrong and making enough mistakes. Eric knows he was there in the beginning, <laughs> in the early days of our leadership, um, is just knowing that treating treating God's people, I mean, realize, when we really think about it, I mean, these are God's people that I'm serving. These are God's people that I'm leading. That That is like crazy. I mean, it's crazy to me to think, God, really? Yeah, you really want me to, you know, serve your people in this way? Like, hello? Uh, you know what's going on here? Um, yeah, what an incredible privilege it is to serve in any capacity in God's kingdom, but to serve his children to serve his people, what a huge privilege that is. And um, we got to pour ourselves out. I know you do. I appreciate it. We, I mean, we know. We've been on both sides of the fence. We appreciate how much you pour yourselves out. But realize that it's, it's, not, for, it's not for not. It's not for nothing. It's for to please God and to bring him glory. It impacts. You don't know what is going to, what you do today, you can't even begin to see 
the impact it's going to have 20 years from now. When you see some kid that you served in Kids Kingdom, when you see some marriage, we run into the Van Burens. I'll be done in a second. Um, we, ran into, we ran into the Van Burens. You don't know who they are. They, are? they were in our lives for three months, three to six months in Orange County. Changed our lives. Every time I see them, I go, you saved our marriage. You saved our, our children from us going down a really bad road. Yeah. And they had no idea at the time. They were in town for six months in Orange County to help serve. We believe God brought them there for us. I mean, really, we believe God actually brought them there for us. But just to realize how important our family group is, and do we treat God's people the way we want somebody to treat our kids? That's our standard. Do I treat Brian the way I want my son to be treated? Do I treat... Elaine the way I want my daughter to be treated that includes would I want somebody to speak the truth and love to Stephen absolutely if it helps him get to heaven would I want somebody to be there to encourage him to help lift him up to lift Shay up absolutely would I want them to do those things in love and in care with careful thought and attention and prayer absolutely and so I just want you to please be convinced of what an incredible role that God has called you to. We didn't call you to this role. I mean, this is God has to put on your heart because people don't do this just for the fun of it, okay? We do it because we no, love no, God. I think last night there were a few that did, but... <laughs> yes. You were pretty cute, babe, in that, in that bird, in the big chicken costume. All right. Anyway, we love you Don't guys. Don't in a Foster Farms commercial. That takes on a whole other meaning today, but anyway... Anyway, love you guys. Please just be convinced of how important your role is in God's kingdom. Steve and I can be replaced in a heartbeat. That's easy. Yeah. What's hard to replace and what's hard to, if, if the, all the family group leaders went away and all the family groups went away, the church would die. Even if Steve and I were still here or whoever, it lives and dies with you guys. Yeah. Amen. So it really is important to understand this role. And as, as Jesus recruited those 70 and sent them out. I would imagine it was a little trepidation, but I, I'm sure there was excitement as well, knowing that they'd been chosen by God's Son to go out into their communities and impact the lives of their families and friends. And that's important that we understand our role. Again, I am second. You know, we look at how things started out in this passage. It starts with a prayer in verse 2. And then in verse 4, it, it's an, a matter of trust and understanding the urgency what was as to what was at, at stake here when it came to the harvest. Verses 5 through 6, the direction on just the, the need to really guard the message. Verse 9, meeting needs. Verse 10, you know, sometimes we know when to uh, just cut stake and leave. You know, it talks about the need to walk away from rejectors. And I think sometimes Satan can use that to lull us into a sense of complacency where someone may kind of be coming around and showing some interest, but when it comes to actually going after developing and moving forward in the relationship with God and His Scriptures, and just even some of the, the, the little things that you may talk to them about, when you get that pushback, and there really isn't the reality that these guys want to be surrendered and become second before God, there may be a point in time where you, do, you need to make sure that praying for discernment and maybe even getting input, but that person could be keeping you away from someone that really wants to come into God's kingdom and be surrendered to God. In verse 16, just ultimately remembering who you represent when we're out and about, when we're in our small group setting. I think one of the things that, that again, has been so encouraging for me is just even the situation here recently with the uh, 
family groups and the uh, combining of family groups and the devotionals that have taken place. And I really want to encourage you. I know that in some instances with the sheer size of it, it was for a limited period of time, but it, it can get a little taxing if you've got 20 to 30 people in your home. But that doesn't mean you can't pair it with just one other family moving forward. And please, please, please make sure that the family devotionals are taking place in the households that maybe aren't paired with other people. It's so easy to fall back into the trend that has been taking place here, where we don't see the value of spending and setting that time aside with our children. That's the thing that's going to make an impact on whether or not we even have a next generation. And I, I think, how many of you have seen kids say that they don't want to participate? There may be a few. How many of you have had kids pestering you to make sure, not just that, okay, are we getting together next week, but just wanting to get together more frequently? I mean, look around, guys. Keep those hands up. That's, our kids want this. It's in our DNA. They want to know God. They want to have relationships. They want family. God created us for that. He wanted that relationship with us. So it's so much a part of our character, but so much of what takes place today, Satan uses to choke out. Understanding the, the key to moving forward and conquering our communities is being surrendered to God. You know, I think the thing that's really clear in Philippians 4 is that Paul believed it. We're going to look at it in a second here. But Paul, you look at the transition in his life. He went on to do greater things than Christ. He had way more impact than Christ during his time. It's just amazing. If you think through, most of you have got the old school Bibles at home somewhere. Pull it out in the back. If it's a, you know, a number of the Bibles have Paul's missionary journeys. You can see the degree of impact that he had. If not, Google it on your phone. You'll see. They're all over the place. Amazing impact. Thousands of people coming to the Lord. Paul believed that he could go on to do greater things. And with that, we see it in his love, his love for God, what God called him to, and what God provided him with to have that impact. Paul made himself second to God. God's will, God's purpose. You know, as Jackie mentioned earlier, you know, we didn't call you guys to lead. It was God who called you to lead. God gave you the love. God gave you the talent. God gave you the ability. We had absolutely zero to do with that. God called you. God commissioned you. And you are God's tools. You may think differently about that, but you really got to think that on through. It's so incredibly important that you embrace that. You know, we look at Paul. Paul was surrendered. He knew that God came first and that he was second. Paul gave himself first to God and then made himself second to serving and leading God's people. Philippians 3, verse 3. Philippians 3, verse 3. says, For we are the circumcision, the ones who serve by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. Although I once also had confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews. Regarding the law, a Pharisee. And Pharisees were the basically the lawyers of the day back then. They had this stuff nailed. He was at the front of his class. He was the most well-trained and well-versed in all of their laws. 
And we'll see how he feels about that in a minute here. Regarding zeal, persecuting the church. Regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss of Christ. More than that, I consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth so that I may gain Christ. You know, we look at all the things that he could have taken pride in, his upbringing, where he was born, how he was raised, who he was trained by, his understanding of the law, being a Hebrew of Hebrews, right down to persecuting and watching Christians be destroyed. That's how zealous he was. I think we've got to be careful in that he had all this confidence in the flesh, and where did it lead? It wasn't until he became second to God that there was kind of impact that God really called him to. If our confidence is in the flesh, if our confidence is in ourselves, we're putting ourselves first and God second. And this was Paul prior to becoming a Christian, really understanding that. He took pride in self. Yet he looks back after his conversion and he equates all that pride in self to being being filth. uh, In some of the translations out there, it goes a little bit deeper than that. But he really understood the contrast between how he was living and how he needed to live. You know, in verse 7, we see that, as he says here, but everything that was a gain I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. He was surrendered. He was willing to be second. He was willing to put Christ first, and it impacted the entire known world. He modeled Christ. He was an incredible example. And, you know, it would have been so easy for him to go with the religious flow of the day. I mean, that's why... Judaism had become such a mess. And that it was all about stature. It was all about position. It was all about who you could get to pad your palms when it came to their degree of interaction with the Roman government, trying to keep the Jews within a realm that Rome felt like they wouldn't have to contend with because the religious leaders would have a handle on it. They went to all the best places. It was all about how they were perceived rather than what they were doing. And this is what I love about Paul. Paul wasn't looking for honor. When it comes to our own roles, when it comes to the leadership groups that we we lead, have we become complacent? We've got to be careful. Because, I mean, you know, there's a lot of incredible things that took place last year. But you can't allow those things to lull you into complacency. Have we settled? Is this as good as it gets? And I think we've got to be careful because I think there's some areas and some ways we have. And we need to look to Paul's example. Paul was a non-conformist. Again, he wasn't looking for honor. He wasn't looking for acknowledgement or the privilege that came with who he was. He opted for being second. And you know, it's so amazing to me, when you look at the progression in his life, early on in his ministry, he refers to himself as the least of apostles. Midway through his ministry, he refers to himself as to the least of God's people. And at the close of his ministry, he viewed himself as the worst of sinners. Was he like, you know, out there partying it up and going crazy and being stupid? No, the issue was he really came to conviction as to how incredible the sacrifice was that took place for him at the cross. It wasn't until the end of his ministry that I feel he totally grasped the concept And we've got to ask ourselves, where are we? 
You know, are we the least of, you know, the higher upper, you know, whatever echelon in our neighborhoods? Is it a matter of perspective, our perspective based on who we are, what we, where we work, what our degree is? Or is our perspective based on who we are at the foot of the cross? Paul understood that. You want to glorify your group? Impact the community with your group? Make a difference in the marriages in your group? The kids in your group? Have everyone in your group serving the poor? Everyone in your group having a role? Then imitate Paul in his understanding of his role before Christ. Paul understood what it meant to be second. You know, we all want victories in Christ, right? First and foremost, I know what I want to hear come Judgment Day. You know, that's something that rings out in all of our ears. You just mentioned that. Well done, good and faithful servant. Or in Holman's, good and faithful slave. But just really thinking through that. Want the victories in Christ? Then say it with me. I am second. I am second. We've got to really embrace that. You know, and this is what's so challenging about where we live. This is so counterintuitive. You know, guys, think about it. It, Isn't this anti-American? It's totally anti-American. This is what America's all about. This is why we have such a bad reputation in certain countries. It's all about us, the loud Americans. Flashing the cash, you know, the attitude, all that. That isn't what God calls us to. See, humanity's most valuable assets have been nonconformist. This is a quote from Josiah William Gitt from 1884. Humanity's most valuable assets have been nonconformist. Were not for the nonconformist, he who refuses to be satisfied to go along with the continuance of things as they are and insist upon attempting to find new ways of bettering things, the world would have known little progress indeed. Starts with our Savior, Jesus Christ. Talk about a nonconformist. It's amazing what he was willing to give up to give us the opportunity to have a relationship with God. Isn't this who you want to be? You know, it's funny, growing up, man, we all love the idea of being a nonconformist, being a rebel. You know, the bad boy, the bad girl, the troublemaker, the Gidinsky, whatever. Black sheep. Oh my gosh, the multi-international, multicultural sheep. It's always somebody. But you think that through, and I don't know about you, I, I love the idea that I can be a nonconformist, I can totally go against the grain, and it means something. It's having an impact. But even, even more so than anything else, by being a nonconformist in this day and age, it pleases God. That's incredible. And that's who we have the opportunity to be. If you're willing to be second, if you're willing to be surrendered, it gives us the ability to get out of the way and let God be God in us. Which is so incredible. It allows God to be God in us through the Holy Spirit. And if we're surrendered to seeing this through in 2014... 2014 will be like a year we have never, ever experienced before in God's kingdom. To God be the glory. 
Let's give God this year. Let's make this God's year. Amen? We need to be clear and understand that God needs to be first because He is first. God is first, and I am second. Amen? Let's go ahead and bow our heads and go to the Father in prayer. Well, Father, uh, again, I, I'm just so incredibly grateful for you, so incredibly grateful for Jesus Christ, grateful for Paul, grateful for all the examples that you give us in the Bible, both good and bad, because it really gives us the opportunity to make a clear decision, to have a clear view of who we need to be before you. Father, thank you for Christ and what he's modeled. Thank you for what took place at the cross. Thank you that you give us insight through your word. You give us the ability to change. You give us guidance. You give us direction. You demonstrate your love through your word. And knowing, God, that we have the ability to do exactly the same thing to everyone we meet. Father, I pray for each of the family group leaders and community group leaders as they head forth here in 2014, that they always remember every waking day they are second before you. I know there are times we can get stressed. There are times we look at our groups and we don't know what to do. And it's those times that we need to be surrendered and get out of the way and let you be and do what you do best. You created us. You've given us this incredible place to live. You've blessed us with great families. And you've blessed us through the blood of Christ. And, I, Father, I pray that we never lose sight of that, that we can leave here today excited about what 2014 will represent. As we've seen, just even the shift in leadership from 2010 through 2011 through 2012 through 2013, what that shows me, God, is there are men and women in this room that have made the decision to draw closer to you and use the gifts, the talents, and abilities that you've blessed them with to really be an encouragement and a light in their families, to their friends, and to their communities. Help us to never lose sight of who you are and your role in our lives. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Dismissed to the next session.